Well, good morning, church. It's so great, uh, so grateful to be here with you and opening God's Word together with you. And so I hope you'll start opening your Bibles, your journals, uh, grabbing a pen, and opening to Philippians chapter 2, as we'll be spending our time here this morning. just want to say a quick uh, yeah, welcome, just echo what Taylor said to the fathers in the room. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I just want to encourage you dads real quick, fathers in the room. Uh, thank you for being here today and for being a great example of what it looks like to worship Jesus on many times can be a day where dads and fathers make it about them Um, and they do something that has to do with their hobbies or sleep in and so I'm just very proud of you guys for um, making today about Jesus and showing your family what it looks like to Worship Jesus instead of make it about you. Just really grateful and and proud of that. Um, Today, our text is about a good example. And today, dads, you are. You're being a good example to your family, showing them that church is important. Worshiping Jesus is highly important. So thanks for doing that. Our example that we'll look at today is the Apostle Paul. As we mentioned in our previous sermons the last couple weeks, Philippians chapter 2 is a list of examples. Last week, we saw the perfect example, the ultimate example, and that was Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, um, who, who took on the form of a man, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Today, this morning, we'll look at the example of the Apostle Paul. Next week, we'll look at the example of Timothy, And then the next week after that, we'll look at the example of Epaphroditus. And what we're seeing is in these examples, men who represent what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to live for Jesus wholeheartedly. And so that's what our text is today, as we'll see Paul's example as he models for us and declares to us what it looks like to live for Jesus, to honor Jesus. So let's read our text today. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18. Let me read it for us. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word as we dive in to our passage for today, I want to remind you again where this topic uh, started. This conversation, this this conversation that Paul has with us. So look up in your Bibles real quick to verse five. 
I just want to make sure we don't miss this. In verse 5, our text today is going to answer the question that was started in verse 5, where Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I think many times we see the brilliant and beautiful hymn in verses 6 through 11, and we focus on that, and rightfully so. It's a beautiful story of what Christ did on our behalf, a declaration of the gospel. But let's not miss verse 5 as Paul is addressing that question. Adopt the attitude, that of Christ Jesus. So the question you should be asking in verse 5 is, what attitude? How do I demonstrate this? How do I reflect Christ? And so then the hymn, beautiful hymn about Jesus. And then verse 12, here's the attitudes. Here's what it looks like to live for Christ. And that's where the conversation started. So ask this question as we dive into our text today. Which attitude? What was Christ's attitude and how do I display it? Based upon what we know about what Christ did, how do I display that same attitude. That's how Paul will dive into our text. So in your Bible or in your notes, or just jot this down, draw a line somehow from verse 5 to verse 12. In verse 5, he says, this have the same attitude. And now in verse 12, he says, so now therefore. And then he says, so now, based upon what Christ did, this is how you should live. In light of the greatest story ever told in the world, based upon the greatest news of the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, this is how you should then live. Christ, the eternal Son of God, who deserves all glory and honor, humbled himself. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. In light of that great news. This is how we should respond. So today our text is a really simple three-point outline. It's based upon the response, how Christ lived his life, and how we should respond based upon that good news. So take notes, write these down. I want to give you a couple questions to ponder as we leave today to help us consider how do we live like Christ lived. So our text today is three responses to the greatest news in the world. But before we give you those points, I want to explain one thing. Today's sermon will feel a lot like duty. I'm going to give you three things you ought to do. And so it's going to feel like a burden a little bit. You're going to probably walk away with like, man, another list, another thing, another way I need to be perfect and act better. And man, Travis is really going to lean on me. More things I must do. I hope that's not the case, but I need to explain kind of how this works, how the word of God works or the topic of sanctification works, how we grow and change into greater likeness of Christ. So before you put on a burden let me explain how I think God uses his word to help us change and grow. There's three steps. The first is you'll read the word of God and you'll see there are things you ought to do. We call them imperatives. You look at the text and it'll say, do this, do this, do this. Those are imperatives. They're in the scripture. I want, before you put on guilt or uh, a burden upon yourself, there's always a motivation for the imperatives. And that is the perfect one, Jesus Christ. 
Whenever you see something you ought to do, you should remember the one who fully did it. That's our motivation for doing these things. The word of God doesn't ask us just to do things that, that um, come out of nowhere. They always are rooted in the perfect character of Jesus Christ. And they're always rooted in him. And that's exactly what our text does. So verse 12, here's some things you need to do. But don't forget verses six through 11. Christ, the perfect one, fully did these. He's your motivation. Live like him. That's how you should read imperatives. The second reality when it comes to sanctification is you'll read things you ought to do and then you'll become frustrated because you're not doing them. So you'll read this text and it'll be like, be like this. And the result to that is you'll become frustrated with yourself. I want you to know that's okay. That's not the worst news because what we want you to hate is your sin. The word of God, God himself wants you to hate the imperfection inside of you. Your failure to keep the law is a good thing because it drives you to Jesus Christ. So as you see the list of things to do, you'll become frustrated with your inability to do those things. Let that linger. Let that push you to Jesus Christ. The very fact that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that's one of the purposes of God's law of his imperatives is to show you your desperation for Jesus Christ. And here's the third level of sanctification. So there will be things that you'll see you should do. You'll see your failure to do them. And then the third step of sanctification is you will do them. And this is where Paul so brilliantly in our text teaches you this is because he'll tell you that is God in you who will work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so the imperatives will then be empowered by the spirit and will naturally come out of you to a level of perfection by no means. But you'll see the very things God demands happen inside of you. This is the idea of sanctification. You must, you can't, by God's spirit, you will. This is how we change, and this is how we grow. I like to explain imperatives this way. Imperatives, or another way to see imperatives, is instinctives. Only for those who are in Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, the Holy Spirit moves in. So the very thing God demands, he enables you to do. And instead of you feeling like a list or like a burden, it's, it's, it's things that will naturally come out of you, things that are true of you. But many times it's hard to see in yourself, which is one of the brilliant things, the, one of the reasons we each need community is because it's community, your small group, your church family, who will see those instinctives come out of you. And we'll be able to identify that and to say, man, God's really working on you. I really see you changing. I really see a difference in you. Man, praise God. Those imperatives become instinctives. Or another good word to understand is implications. You think of them as imperatives, like, man, what a burden. But also understand that they're implications. Because God's inside of you, these things will happen. And that's really good news. So 
as I give you the list today, the things you ought to do, please don't put them on as like a backpack, a burden you must carry, another list of three things you must do. Please see them as instinctives and implications to the work of God inside of you rather than leaving defeated. And by God's grace and his mercy and the work of the spirit inside of you, you will change. Praise God for that rather than just a list of things you must do. So now let's move in to our list. And by God's grace, he'll do these things. So in light of Christ's humiliation and exaltation, we ought to and we will live this way. Or to say it one other way before we dive in, here is what knees bowing and tongues confessing looks like today. You see in your text above, verses 10 and 11, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We're not just waiting for that day. That's happening now. Knees are bowing, tongues are confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's what this looks like today. Number one, a res- here's the first result to um, what Christ has done. The first response to the greatest news in the world. Number one, passion. Christians should be the most passionate people in the world because we have the greatest news in the world. What Christ did for you should create a passion in you to learn, grow, and exercise what you now have your salvation. Paul uses the idea of working out in verse 12. And I don't think I have to define working out for you. I think I just need to help it make sense a little bit. We all understand this idea of working out, but it means to continually to strive, to bring something to completion or fruition. When Christ saved you, he also began the process of changing you. And then one day he will save you entirely, what we call glorification. The day your sins were forgiven, he didn't just save you and send you to retirement. He saved you and sent you to the mission. He said, it's time for you to go. I'm going to continue to work on you. I'm going to continue to change you. And, and you're going to need to continue to lean on me for the, work that, for the power that is required to accomplish the mission. That mission requires continual training, exercise, and understanding just like you would hope any soldier would be an expert at his field. That's what God's going to do in you. He forgives you, he saves you, and he sends you and empowers you to do the work. And so this is that idea of working out. I'm sure this will make sense to the guys in the room, the husbands in the room, if you're anything like me. When you find something glorious, something fun, something exciting, it creates a passion in you for more of it. I'm I'm a little bit of a compulsive person. Like I I, I become a little too invested in things that I really like. My current passion probably is fishing. And so I found something glorious, something a whole lot of fun. And instinctively, it's kind of created this obsession for it. Anybody relate? I hope so. I hope I'm not the only crazy person. So if you were to go to my YouTube app on my iPad and look at what I've searched lately, it would be embarrassing because it would be all about fishing. See, the thing that happens is when you find something glorious, 
It creates in you a compulsion to study, to learn, to grow, and to find out more. So right now I could tell you what kind of knots you should be tying. I, should tell, I could tell you what kind of lures you ought to be using, the best baits for the month of June. It's embarrassing. But this is just instinctively what it happens. When you find something glorious, it creates this desire to work at it, a desire to be, become compulsive at it. And here's the great news, Christians. The most glorious news, the most glorious story in the history of the world is something we know. And that's what Christ Jesus has done for us. And that should create in us compulsive, addicted people about the glories of Jesus. There's nothing that can create more passion than the very fact that our sins have been forgiven by the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's getting at when he uses the idea of work out. You now understand the most glorious thing in the world. Figure it out. So maybe some synonyms would be study, learn, figure out, contemplate, discuss, research. That's the type of Christians we ought to be. That's why you're here at church today. Because God saved you and he gave you a hunger and a thirst for more. And so you desire to study and to research and know everything you can about it. Here's one really important distinction that I'm sure you know. I just want to clarify it. Please notice that Paul does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. That's a huge distinction between those that are forgiven and those that aren't. We work, we're compulsive, we're so uh, inspired by this because of what Christ has done we are forgiven. We're not striving to become forgiven. We believe that the gospel is news about what Jesus has done, not a list of things we must do to be forgiven. The gospel is, it is finished. Jesus accomplished the work for us. So I just want to make a couple observations from our text just to help you see that it, this is what Paul's saying, uh, and this is helpful for us to understand. Please understand, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The reason he says this is because Paul's in awe of the power of what God has done, how amazing it is. While you work this out, it's a very important, serious task. So take it seriously. Work hard at it. It's like trying to understand your electrical panel in your basement. You do that with fear and trembling because you know the power it has. If I'm messing around down there, I'm going to get myself killed. Like this is the importance. This is the reality of the power that's at play. This is a serious matter. So figure it out, work on it, learn it, and understand the seriousness of it. And then he says in verse 13, the power behind it. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Man, this is so good news. Again, as I give you a list today of things you should know, or you should do, please notice the power behind it. Not only are you working, but the Holy Spirit's working as well towards the same end, so that both myself and the Spirit inside of me are striving together that I would be more like Christ. And then it's so beautiful, he says, both to will and to work. 
So the Holy Spirit's not just saying get to work, but he's changing your motivations so that you desire to work out, to study, to research. What a beautiful reality that the Holy Spirit on the inside is changing you to be the type of person who desires to look like Christ, to become passionate about the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's desire for you, that you would become more passionate about the gospel than your current hobbies or interests. That that would be the thing that would drive you and make you more like Jesus. Just a concluding thought on this idea of passion. Your salvation creates in you a passion to get to work and the power to do the work. This isn't guilt-based manipulation. It's spirit-enabled motivation. We should be the most passionate people on the earth, on the 